welcome to Over the Rainbow, a safe space and voice for all queer identities. I'm your host, Rachel Keithley, and I use she, her pronouns. Every other Wednesday, we bring you new episodes dedicated to queer education, representation, and activism. Hey Delia, I always like my guests to introduce themselves, so do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure, so my name's Delia Sosa, I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Uh, Currently, I am living in the central part of the U.S., but I have kind of bounced back and forth between the East Coast and the central part, so been a little bit all over the place. Um, I currently am working in clinical oncology research with a focus on transgender and gender diverse inclusion representation, but I'll be starting medical school this summer, so (laughs) there's going to be a big life transition happening. Wow, congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. I'm so excited. This has been literally 25 years in the making, so I'm just excited to get started. You're there. This is huge. Congrats, seriously. Thank you. Thank you so much. Amazing. Well, actually, we're talking a little bit about your expertise, I guess, today. We're going to be talking about trans and gender affirming healthcare and how we can make the world a safer place for trans folk. But before we do, let's start by sharing something we've done this week, either to engage in queer education or activism. So this week, I've not managed to do much other than, this is a big thing actually, to be fair, but this is all I've had the headspace for. I finished a first draft of my PhD, finally. So 80,000-ish words, (laughs) done. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That's Thank wonderful. you. So I still need to edit it, um, obviously make sure it makes sense, but that is a finished research project on LGBTQ plus online hate. So it's exciting. Wow. Oh my gosh. Can I read that when it's done? That's it's long, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Three and a half years, finally got a finished product. So that was, it was a big moment realizing that you know, if something happened, I could hand this in. I want to make it better, but obviously this was the big step. How much time do you have to, to work on it now? Two months. So deadline is end of May. So I've got time. Okay, good, good. So it's not like you have like a week to edit it after this. Oh my God, no, I would be crying <laughs> if I did. <laughs> oh, good. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. What about yourself? Um, So I found out that the state I grew up in is actually trying to pass a bill that would ban discussions on gender dysphoria and sexual orientation and would also require teachers in public schools to use trans students' birth names and birth pronouns instead of their chosen names and chosen pronouns. Um, So I have been engaging in a lot of online conversations trying to explain this to people and get people on board and answering questions. Um, I actually launched launched like a mini social media campaign. When was that? I think last week. I've lost track of time at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was last week. So I've just been communicating with people a lot about the information in that campaign and yeah, just really trying to explain to people why it's so important to understand the actual bill itself because the framing of the bill is so different from what's actually in it and what's actually in the bill if it's passed could do a lot of harm to queer and trans youth in that particular state so that's what I've been doing (laughs) I mean that's amazing and I've actually seen some of your content on social media and it's really it's really informative and accessible because I know sometimes people see the law and they're like I don't understand this but for people who live outside the U.S. this is the don't say gay bill isn't it that you're referring to 
Yeah. So this is, this is not the Florida one. This is like a different iteration of it in a different state. But what a lot of people I've actually, (laughs) I hate saying this because I hate fighting, but I've kind of gotten into some mini arguments with people on social media about this because the bill itself doesn't actually have the word gay in it. And a lot of people have been saying, well, it's not a don't say gay bill if it doesn't have the word gay. But the way that the bill would limit conversations on queer and trans identities and things relating to being queer and trans, especially for youth who may already know who they are or are trying to figure out who they are, is really harmful. (laughs) And I don't think a lot of people realize that like just because the bill doesn't actually have the word gay in it doesn't mean that it can't do harm to people who are gay or bi or trans or queer in some other form yeah well if anything it makes it more dangerous doesn't it because it could slip through the net if it doesn't have those overt words in them yeah exactly and I think when it gets framed in a different way like a lot of these bills are getting framed as protecting children which sounds great like obviously we want to make sure that kids are safe and that they have what they need to thrive But when these bills are framed as protecting children, it makes it a lot harder to fight back against the things that are actually doing harm to kids that are kind of hidden in these bills. Yeah, well, good luck with your campaign. It's really, really important stuff. And I'm sure hopefully the listeners will go check it out as well and stop this bill before it gets any traction. (laughs) Thank you. I I really hope so too. They're, They're kind of popping up in really unexpected places across the US. So I am hoping that we can stop as many of these as possible. Yeah, it's 2022. We do not need to be taking leaps backwards. No, definitely not. Oh, well, great example. Right, let's get on with today's show. Let's start with some definitions, um, just for listeners who maybe aren't sure of terminology. So what is non-binary? And I guess within that, what does trans mean as well? Yeah, I'm actually going to start with what trans means, because it's sort of an umbrella term and non-binary is like a second umbrella term under the trans umbrella. Trans basically means that a person's gender identity does not align with the sex they were assigned at birth there are binary trans people and then there are non-binary trans people. So when we think of binary trans people, those are a lot of the narratives that we see pretty commonly. Like, for example, in the show I Am Jazz, like Jazz is an example of a binary trans person. So she was assigned male at birth and then underwent gender affirmation, which some people also refer to as transition. And now Jazz identifies as a female. Jazz is a woman. Um, a lot of people use the term identifies as, but really like trans people are who they are. Um, it's just for some people, it's easier to understand, like in terms of transition, the transition terms. Um, so that's a binary trans person, but then a non-binary trans person is someone whose gender identity doesn't align with the sex they were assigned at birth, but who doesn't fall into the binary categories of men and women. So There are a lot of different ways to be non-binary and the experience is really different for every single person. 
there are some non-binary people who feel more closely aligned with one of the binary genders over the other. There are some people who are like, I fall right in the middle and I don't align with either of the binary genders. There are some non-binary people who are like, I'm not even on the binary spectrum of men and women. I'm just like off the spectrum altogether. So it's, it's a really different experience for every person and every single person will understand their gender a little bit differently. Yeah, that's a great definition. And I think particularly with non-binary identities, I think it's only recently that people have really started to recognize and understand that gender doesn't exist in this binary construct. So I think it's certainly made it harder for people to figure out their identities. So how was it that you came to figure out that you're non-binary? Yeah, so just to give you a little bit of context, I grew up in a really Catholic neighborhood where sex and gender and sexual orientation were just not talked about. Um, I was really lucky to have two parents who, you know, when I came out to them as queer, they were like, okay, that's fine. We love you. It's, it's cool. <laughs> um, not every kid in Catholic households has that. So I was really lucky that my parents were like that. But because of the neighborhood that I grew up in and being in Catholic school for 13 years, I didn't find out about trans people until I got to college. Like this was just not something that was in my worldview. And when I got to college, I learned like, okay, there are binary trans people. I think I understand what it means to be trans. And then I met non-binary people and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is a whole new world here. <laughs> um, and I remember kind of starting to piece together some of the experiences that I'd had as a kid where you know I felt like I really didn't fit in with a lot of the girls around me um I was assigned female at birth so I got put into the girl box quite a bit um but I remember like I wanted to hang out with all the boys in my class I wanted to do the things that the boys were doing I really felt like there were some days I felt like a tomboy and other days I felt like a girly girl and I didn't really know how to conceptualize that. And then when I got to college, I kind of realized, okay, I don't have to force myself into this box of being a girl. I don't know where in the world I fit yet. And it took me about five years to figure that out. I actually was sitting in a class one day and I just had this gut feeling that was telling me, you are not a girl. Like it was nobody else telling me that. It was no one else saying like, oh, non-binary people exist and you are non-binary because of the experiences you've had. It was just this really visceral gut reaction. And ever since then, I've just kind of been figuring it out, figuring out what language works best for me. It's been a long process, not gonna lie. There's been a lot of trial and error with labels and pronouns, and I'm still kind of figuring out exactly how I understand myself in the world and how I understand my own individual gender identity. But at this point, I know myself well enough to know that I am not a cis woman, but I'm also not a trans man. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that journey is it's okay to know that you're not necessarily at the end of that journey. And I think that partly comes down to the fact that 
the way society's structured, it just takes a long fucking time to figure these things out. But also the fact that it can change from day to day for some people, and that's also okay too. Yeah, it, it does change from day to day. You know, there are some days that I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I want to put on makeup and wear floral things and be very feminine. I mean, if you can kind of see, I'm having a little bit of a floral day today. And then there are other days when I'm like, I want to look like a boy, like backwards baseball cap, like cargo joggers, sweatshirt. And there are other days where I'm just like, you know what? I want to be a genderless blob and I'm going to wear pajamas all day. And it's okay to not have like a consistent gender presentation. I think that's the other thing that's really important here is that like gender presentation is not the same as gender identity. And for me, I feel like my gender identity and my gender presentation are both kind of fluid, but they're not always aligned with one another. I think that was a really important point, actually, because I think that speaks to everyone as well in terms of like it speaks to cisgender people as well, who may be very affirmative in the fact that they are cisgender, but may want to play around with gender presentation a bit or gender toys or whatever. You know, it's taking the gender out of those things and recognizing that it is very distinct. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. I feel like that's something that I wish more people were aware of. Um, I actually had a family member who, so my family, just for context, like raised their kids within the gender binary and like everyone in my family is cis except me, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> and, but I'm the youngest of all of my cousins. And I remember hearing a story about three of my oldest cousins when they were growing up, um, they were each given a truck and a baby doll because their parents were basically like, we don't want our kids to feel like they have to limit themselves to things that are gendered or things that are societally like assigned to their gender. And I thought that was really cool. Like the way that they played with their toys was very different. Like <laughs> my, my cousins who are now women were like putting their baby dolls gently into the trucks and driving them around. And my cousin who's now a man was like jamming the baby doll head into the truck <laughs> and like slamming it into the wall. But, you know, they were each given the opportunity to figure out how they wanted to play with their toys, how they wanted to engage with their toys. And they weren't limited just based on their identity and their gender, which was really cool. Yeah, that's amazing to hear that. And I wish, like you said, more parents would do that. Me too. <laughs> so to move on, side, I guess when people are exploring their gender identity, and I've always said that it's not something that should just be what trans people do. I think that cisgender people should also explore their identity, but we have the privilege of already kind of fitting into that binary box that we were told to fit into. But for trans people, there are certain like things you have to navigate in the social world and as well as in I guess, the medical and the legal world in terms of affirming your gender. And one of those is exploring the possibility of gender affirming healthcare. So can you share a bit about what this is? Yeah, I'd love to. This is my favorite part. So, <laughs> so gender affirming care, really just in a general sense, means any healthcare that provides a safe, inclusive, welcoming environment for trans people, non-binary people, and gender diverse people to access healthcare that is appropriate for their needs. So when a lot of people think of gender affirming care, they typically think of gender affirming surgeries like top surgery and bottom surgery, 
They may think of hormone therapy. They may think of vocal therapies. And those are all really important parts of gender affirming care because those are steps that a lot of trans people take to affirm their gender identity. But what's really important about gender affirming care is that it's not just limited to things that are related to gender affirmation or transition. It actually has to extend into every medical specialty because trans bodies like cis bodies still break and still have the same medical problems. So when people think of gender affirming care, a lot of times it's easiest to find providers in surgery, in primary care, in psychiatry, and sometimes in obstetrics and gynecology. But outside of that, you kind of don't know what you're going to get. Like you don't know if your emergency room doctor is going to be gender affirming. You don't know if specialists are going to be gender affirming. Like I said before, I actually work in oncology research and I've read a lot of stories of patients who saw oncologists who that that didn't know how to treat trans patients. And because of that, you know, they weren't ill-intentioned or anything, but because of that, these patients' care got delayed to the point where, you know, their cancer progressed or they were asked to be taken off their hormones, not because there's any clinical evidence for it, but just because there's not enough information around it. So when we say gender affirming care, or at least when I say gender affirming care, it really extends to every area of medicine. Yeah, well, I think that's such a good point, because like you said, it's not just if you're going to have hormonal treatment or gender affirmative surgery where you are going to need healthcare intervention. We sadly need healthcare intervention for many other aspects of our lives, and you don't want to be having to navigate those spaces also having to think about how your gender identity is going to play a role in that so I'm assuming my next question is not going to be the positive answer that I would like but what is it like to navigate the healthcare system as a trans person? Well I'll give you my perspective on this and I'm sure that every trans person has had a little bit of a different experience. Um, For me it has been easy in some ways and difficult in others. I think in terms of finding primary care, it's actually been easier than I expected in the sense that there are a lot of gender affirming clinics popping up across the country that offer primary care services. So like, for example, I just moved to where I'm living now, like nine months ago, and I was able to find a gender affirming provider within like a week of moving here, which was so unexpected. But then when it comes to like specialty care, like I have to go see a few different specialists for other healthcare things that I have going on. It's sort of intimidating in a way because there's no like directory of healthcare providers that says like, oh, this person is gender affirming or like this person is trans friendly. I have seen one hospital that had that, but it was not comprehensive. <laughs> and so I've gone into some of these appointments being misgendered. I've gone into some of these appointments having to explain to providers what being trans means, having to explain how to use they, them pronouns. And I've gone into other encounters where, you know, the provider will just ask me what my pronouns are, or they'll correct themselves really quickly and say, I'm sorry, I misgendered you. And then we'll just move on, which is exactly how it should be. So 
I think it's intimidating just because I really never know what I'm going to (laughs) get and whether the way that I'm perceived by healthcare providers will impact the quality of care that I get and whether I'm actually able to be appropriately treated for what's going on with me. Well, I think, like you said, there's several levels to that, isn't there? There's the level of like the emotional support and the validation of your gender and not discriminating against you. And then there's the level of if we still have people in our healthcare systems who don't understand, let's use the example that it's not just women who have a cervix, well, then there's a whole host of other folks who you may be overlooking a very serious health condition in them because you're assuming, well, they're a woman or they're not a woman, so they do or don't have a cervix. And I think, you know, expanding that understanding and saying it's not just women that bleed, for example, is really important to get that healthcare. Yeah, it's it's so important. Um, I love talking about obstetrics and gynecology, especially because one thing that's interesting with with that is, you know, there are plenty of people who are not women who have a cervix, but then there are also plenty of people who are not women who give birth. And that is something that I, I think a lot of people don't realize. Like, I actually remember being a kid and my mom and I used to watch TLC a lot, just like that was what we did in our free time. And there was a special that came on that was called like the pregnant, the pregnant man or something or the pregnant dad. And they really made this, this person out to be some kind of freak show. Like he was this trans man who got pregnant and had a child. And it, it really was this beautiful thing. Like there are so many trans men and non-binary people who go through this process. But the way that it was framed was just seen as this like oddball thing and everyone was like oh he's such a medical anomaly like we don't know what to do with him and I've seen that on so many occasions and unfortunately I think it kind of it both creates a stigma like a social stigma around accessing healthcare as a trans person and you know when trans people go in to see healthcare providers it it sort of affects how they're perceived but then it also affects like people's confidence in treating trans people there are a lot of studies out there that have actually shown there are quite a few doctors in the world who are perfectly fine with treating trans people, but they just don't know how to do it appropriately. So it's both kind of like you said before, it's both a social perception and you know the way that trans people are treated, but there's also like a medical element to it in terms of comfort level and feeling like people can actually provide the healthcare that trans people deserve. Yeah, it definitely seems like we need at least a two-pronged targeted educational <laughs> movement there to deal with that. There's probably other facets that we've not even covered yet, but they seem to be the two main ones. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, there isn't a standard for it, at least in the US. There are a lot of medical schools that have incorporated trans health into their curriculum. And actually, I chose where I'm going to med school in large part because of that. But it's not a standard across the U.S. There are a lot of med schools that are still not teaching this or they're not teaching it to the extent that they probably should be. It's not a standard for residency programs. It's not a standard for a lot of other licensing programs outside of medicine specifically. So there's a lot of work to be done just like on a structural level. Which is absolutely ridiculous because 
if you think about it, can you imagine going to medical school and just never being told how to treat the cisgender male body? Like, <laughs> you'd be a bit like, what the hell? Like, there's a lot of people out there who are cisgender male that I can't help. It's the same flipping thing. Like, if we're not going to acknowledge that there are more than two genders and some of these genders aren't binary, then we're missing a mass, a massive area of the population when we're treating them. Exactly. Exactly. And I think it really does a disservice, not just to the patients, but also to the providers, because if these providers end up seeing a trans patient or a non-binary patient further down the line, they're not going to know what to do. You know, they're not going to have the training that they deserve and that their patients deserve. And that just, that kind of creates a domino effect in the long run, because then they're not going to be able to train future physicians or future healthcare providers either. Yeah, it's scary, but I'm very excited to see what your course is going to be like. This should be pioneering in this arena. Thank you. I'm so excited. I've heard really good things about both the curriculum and the professor who worked to get this part of the curriculum incorporated. So I'm I'm so looking forward to it. I can't wait to see what it looks like. Well, please do keep us all posted. I think this is really exciting work. Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay, so I want to just broaden out what we've been talking about. So we've talked about the difficulties, I guess, of navigating the healthcare system as a trans person. But what are the difficulties in navigating the world in general as a trans person when the status quo is just that people are cisgender? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. So for me, I think safety is the biggest thing, really. When I first came out publicly as trans non-binary, it was just so freeing. It was sort of like, I finally have this weight off my shoulders. I can just be myself and everything will be fine in the world. And as I started to change my outward appearance and I really like wearing things that say like protect trans kids and (laughs) and that have like visible trans flags on them. As I started doing that more, I noticed I was getting some pretty interesting looks from people. in public. Um, I actually used to live in a really progressive part of the Northeast, which was nice and like kind of the perfect place to come out in. But when that happened, I was in a coffee shop one day, just like wearing one of my like trans sweatshirts. And this group of, I would say like, there were men in their probably like thirties to fifties came into the coffee shop. It was at lunchtime. And one of them saw me wearing my sweatshirt and gave me this really disgusted look as if like I had done something to personally offend him. And I just really quickly tried to grab everything I had ordered and like ran out of the coffee shop. I was like, I don't want to, I don't feel safe here and I don't want to be here. And that's something that I think a lot of us have to really think about just existing in the world. You know, there is so much violence against the trans community, especially people who are trans people of color and black trans women, especially. Um, So to just simply exist can be really scary. You know, we kind of constantly have to think about, is it safe for me to go to this place by myself? Is it safe for me to take public transit by myself? I actually kind of compare it to my experiences being raised as a girl and being taught like 
don't go places by yourself at night, like don't go on public transit alone, like those kinds of things. It feels very similar, except it almost feels heightened in a way, especially now in the U.S. We have all of these anti-trans bills popping up and the trans community is really hated by a lot of people in the U.S. You know, there has been the issues of bathrooms and people have said like, oh, trans people are gonna like, (laughs) they basically said like, men are going to dress up as women and go into the women's bathroom and first of all that's not what a trans woman is a trans woman is a woman we're just trying to go to the bathroom like there are way more incidences of violence against trans people in bathrooms than there are of trans people committing violence against cis people in bathrooms like this is just one example of what I'm thinking of but you know it just I really have to be mindful of my own safety and I think that's something that a lot of us have to be mindful of. Yeah, and I think the landscape is similar in the UK where I am. I think we are lucky in inverted commas in that we don't have the Don't Say Gay Bill and we don't have the bathroom bills. But I would be lying if I said there aren't people trying to push through that kind of um, exclusive, yeah, exclusive legislation. And it really is scary. Um, So I did want to ask, though, are there any laws in place to protect you in your society or at work in day to day? So I did actually look into this before hopping on. I have not found anything that protects trans people or that protects on the basis of gender identity. The only things that I was able to find were that there are quite a few laws that protect protect people on the basis of sex. Um, And then there are some, I wanna say it's state specific laws that do protect on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity, but those are not nationwide. Like that's very, that's a lot more local. And honestly, that's kind of (laughs) scary to think about. I, I remember a couple of years ago, back when 45 was in office, I think there was an attempt to overturn a bill that basically just allowed trans people to exist. And what was going to happen was they're going to define gender in terms of biological sex or sex assigned at birth, which they are not the same thing. (laughs) Um, So what that would have done was it would have effectively erased trans people. I don't actually know what the original bill said. And I know that the attempt to overturn it was, it was either vetoed or overruled. I don't know legal terms, but (laughs) um, it didn't, it didn't pass. It didn't happen. But as far as I know, there aren't any bills or laws that explicitly protect us. You know, we can be fired from our jobs. We can, we can be evicted from our homes. Again, I think it's more locally specific and there are some local laws that do prevent that but yeah nationally there's still a lot of work to be done which is really really terrifying because you know like depending on where you've grown up you could be in quite a dangerous area in that respect and you may not have the freedom the economic ability to move to an area that's perhaps safer for you so you know it just shouldn't be that way you should have the protection like here in the UK there is a hell of a lot wrong with with our with our country but at least the Equality Act the law protects both gender identity so trans people and 
sexual orientation as protected characteristics it is illegal to discriminate at work and in society so we we've had that for a number of years now and i'm not saying that that means we don't have hate crime we definitely still do discrimination is still that but at least legally you can't be fired from your job that is terrifying to think that you could be oh man i wish we had that here <laughs> yeah i i need to look into this a little bit more actually i feel like i don't know all the ins and outs of this but that tells you it's complex, doesn't it? It should be clear cut. You should be able to know. Right. Thank you. Yes, it should be clear cut. And what's what's even harder is like we've been trying to pass the Equality Act and there is so much division in U.S. politics right now that it's just not going through. I don't know where it stands. Again, I'm not a politician and I am not a legal expert. But um, yeah, it, it's just sort of been at a standstill. I know that that's something that our current president has been trying to push through basically since he got into office. And we're still waiting. We don't know when it's gonna pass, if it's gonna pass. And it's a scary thing to think about. Like we may never have those, those broader legal protections. And the fact that they could so easily be taken away by people such as the predecessor in the US. And it's, it's scary because things like gender identity and trans people's lives are always used as this political debate and tool when it's not a debate your identity is not a debate it's not something that we need to decide whether it exists or not and how it exists like it exists and you need the same rights and that's as simple as it should be right right and what's so unfortunate too is that you know trans kids especially have really become political pawns in the US and you know there have been so many claims that like adults are experimenting on trans kids and that's not the case at all you know trans kids will be who they're going to be and to try and challenge that trans kids exist and then to create laws that prevent trans kids from actually accessing the health care that they need and just being able to live their childhood it just it both breaks my heart and disgusts me at the same time. Like it's hard enough when the whole trans community is used as political pawns, but to me, it is absolutely unacceptable when kids are used as political pawns, especially because in the US, so often it's under the guise of protecting them, but really they're not being protected at all. Yeah, not at all. It's absolutely shocking, isn't it? So I guess I want to try and lift this up because I think it's really important that we take this mess and this lack of rights and turning it into something positive. So how can we make the world a safer, more affirming place for trans people? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just really trying to educate one another and have more conversations about what it means to be trans, that trans people exist in the first place. And that we're just human beings like everybody else. You know, being trans is only a part of who we are. We are educators, we are employees, we are friends, we are parents, we are children. We are just people like everybody else. And I think if we can start to have more conversations with one another, more open-minded conversations with one another about that fact, it can really open the door for more acceptance politically socially heck even economically there's a whole lot of issues there too 
that I think is the first step. And then really taking those individual changes and trying to incorporate them structurally and into policy to make sure that, you know, we don't backtrack from here. Yeah, thank you. I think both those steps are equally important and something that we can all be doing. You know, we can all be working towards that world, that equitable world. And I think education is always the place it starts, isn't it? Because right now the world very much seems like obviously I'm a cisgender woman, but if I asked my friends to describe me, they would probably use everything but referring to my gender identity to describe me. Whereas I think often people get caught in the trap of looking at trans people as trans first. And whilst it's super cool that we've all got a gender identity that's different and unique and maybe fluid for some and not for others. And I want people to be able to share that with me. I also like to know all the other cool things about them too. And I think that often gets overlooked as well. Yeah, that's, that is such a good point. Like, there's so much more to people than just their, their gender identity. It's sort of analogous to race in a lot of ways. Like when we meet someone for the first time, I think we often tend to have these initial biases based on the, the color of their skin or the way that they look or whether their presentation may align with a certain racial or ethnic group that we think we're familiar with. <laughs> And there's so much more to that person than just the groups that they belong to. Like, sure, the identities we hold are very important parts of who we are because they shape our experience and the way that we interact with the world. But we also have a lot more to bring to the table. Like, I don't know, our ability to give good hugs or the things that we like to cook or whether we're good with animals. There's just, there's so much more to people than just the boxes that they're forced into. Yeah, I honestly could not agree more. And the three things you just listed are three things I look for in friends. So look at that. Hugs, animals, food, done. (laughs) I've got two of the three, so. (laughs) We're nearly there. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that. And I think, can you share finally a recommendation of a queer book, show or business that you want to plug? Yes, I would love to. So I, oh, I had not read for fun in so long because being on the med school path is a lot of work and you just like have no free time. But I finally had a little bit of a breather last year and I picked up a book by Skylar Baylor, who's a really prominent trans activist in the U.S. It's called Obi is Man Enough and it is a young adult novel about this teenager who is trans and is on a swim team and what his experience is like. And what's really cool is that, you know, knowing a lot of Skylar's story before I read the book, the story of Obi, the main character, is different from Skylar's story, but he found a way to incorporate a lot of his own experiences and perspectives into what Obi is going through. Rachel, when I tell you I was crying in a coffee shop reading this book because it was so good, like, uh, it's so worth reading. And it's a quick read, too. I got through it in about a day. So it's it's not a hard book to get through. I am a huge lover of books as a book club owner, runner. I don't know what my title would be there. <laughs> I have a book club that's queer. <laughs> so I am all for book recommendations. I love that. I will check that out. amazing of course oh well thank you so much for today I think 
you know, it's really, really important that we're talking about this and we're educating people on trans and non-binary identity and in particular shining a light on the inequalities in the healthcare system, but how we can improve them and make them better. So I really appreciate the work you're doing and the work you've done today to educate the listeners. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, first of all, this has just been so much fun and I've really enjoyed having this conversation together. And I also really appreciate how much you're uplifting queer and trans voices in so many different ways. Like I think the experiences within the community are so unique and to see how many different stories you're highlighting through your podcast is just incredible. So I I can't even thank you enough. This is awesome. Oh, well, thank you. And we'll absolutely circle back when you're doing your medical school course and we'll hear all the amazing things that you're learning. Yes, please. That would be awesome. Today's Over the Rainbow Spotlight is with queer-owned business Craig. So, Craig, can you introduce yourself, see your name, your pronouns, and a bit about your business? Yes, so um, I'm Craig, um, I'm, um, my pronouns are he or him, and um, yeah, I own a business called Craybakes. so we're um, a local bakery um, based in Yorkshire, and we kind of specialise in tray bakes and all different types of bakes, um, so we've been going since about 2019 now, just before the pandemic kind of hit, and um, but yeah, like kind of, we really kicked off almost in the pandemic and the pandemic has really kind of been a, a bit of a eye-opener for many small businesses but for ours um, especially it's really kind of given us the opportunity to reach a reach an audience who was kind of like craving treats and comfort during this really awful couple of years. Honestly though like what better way to get through the pandemic than with a cake? <laughs> Yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So what made you get into the business? What inspired you to bake? Yeah, so I think like I've always been a keen baker um, and I've always just like to like, kind of please people and kind of give people some comfort. And like it, basically I kind of started baking for people at work and um, they kind of always said this is really good like you should probably sell this and I kind of just never really listened to them thought it was a bit rubbish um but then yeah like kind of the more and more I did it the more they were like yeah just go for it and, and actually one of my best friends where I used to work he was like why don't you call it crave because that was a bit of a joke and I was like yeah that's rubbish um and then yeah here we are like two and a half years later and um kind of yeah it's just been a bit of a whirlwind in in the sense of how fast we've grown and how kind of big it's it's become and I never really thought it would be like this but what's turned into a, a bit of a hobby and a passion has actually turned into my career and um yeah I couldn't be happier really yeah it's been fantastic to watch the growth I know that you yourself has trans- have transitioned from having another job to doing this full-time so what was that jump like? Yeah scary um, initially um, like me and my partner Matt who runs the business with me kind of we we were both a bit like constantly over the last year or so kind of thinking should should one of us go should one of us kind of stay but kind of the opportunity 
arose for me to do it really. Um, and I can quite honestly say I've never looked back. It's been the best thing that's happened to me. Um, I'm enjoying myself much more than I was working full time and doing this good business. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I know that you are at least where items you're everywhere you know you're in local businesses you've got your market I know that you go to food festivals um and you sell a whole range of products but what are some of your best sellers yeah so our most popular flavor is always going to be the chocolate orange brownie for some reason it just goes right now like everywhere we kind of provide it, it just sells um but then like over the years, like even though we started in brownies and that was our kind of kind of key product, we've just developed more and more. So we do edible cookie doughs, we do stuffed cookies, we do blondies, rocky roads, flapjacks, anything kind of like tray bake-ish we'll do. So like now kind of our millionaire's brownie that we do just flies off the shelves. The cookie pies, another winner, like really people just go mad for it and I think what we've found is actually and this really helps our business is kind of people like variety there's not like one product that people just go mental for it's like there's so much about stuff that people like and enjoy and so we like being able to offer that variety and kind of give the give the people what they want really honestly every time I go I'm like where are the blondies (laughs) I love the blondies exactly Um, yeah are there any new things to look out for this year? Oh, there's always new stuff. There's always new stuff. Um, like one of our kind of key priorities for 2022 is events and really boosting that. Like now we've now I've got the time and now I'm full time. I can actually start to look more at events. Um, so we're looking at doing um, a lot more kind of food festivals. So we've um, we're doing Molten Food Festival and we're also doing we're going back to an event we did in Sheffield last year, which is the Yorkshire Chocolate Festival. Um, so we're doing that, but also we're starting our brand new monthly Molten Farmers Mark. It's really exciting because we love Molten and we've always wanted to do it. And thankfully, they've, they've kind of they've allowed us to come, um, which is going to be super exciting. And um, that's a really good big step for us. But kind of like one of the big things is just getting a, getting a bigger premises, really. Like um, our kind of demand for our product seems to have just gone through the roof. And um, our little unit that we're in at the minute, um, which you can see behind me at the minute, Rachel, kind of like, this is how, um, like, with boxes piled up high because we have to go, like, higher rather than wider at the minute. Um, so we need a bigger unit. Um, and yeah, there's there's a few other things that I'm not going to mention just yet. Look out for our social media, as I'm going to say. Well, yeah, that's a good thing because I was going to ask where can people find you so they can follow on and see what the latest is. So, where are you? What social media is you on? So yeah, so we're on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Although I'm not really on TikTok, I'm going to say. So I try my best. Um, but all three of them, you can find us at, at Craybakes. Um, we're also on Twitter, but again, Twitter is not my strong point. So just avoid Twitter. Um, and you can also um, come to our website, which is um, www.craybakes.co.uk. Um, and there you can find um, our stockists that we supply all throughout Yorkshire. 
Um, you can also order online. So we do our um, postal treat boxes every week um, and there's more, more things to come um, online shortly. Amazing. Hopefully you'll sell out with all the listeners going and ordering those treat boxes. And thank you so much for coming on the show today. So everyone who's listening, go follow Craybakes and buy their cakes because I promise you will not be disappointed. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much for listening today. New episodes are available every other Wednesday. So please do download, share and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. Our topics are designed to be engaging. So if you have any questions or feedback, please do get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at underscore over the rainbow podcast. Our website is www.overtherainbowpod.com, Facebook at over the rainbow podcast 13 and Twitter at over rainbow pod. We also have a queer book club reading the rainbow. So if you want to join us in reading the queer universe, please check out our website or Facebook page for more information. Have a queer week and I'll see you over the rainbow. Thank you.